Hey, Oddings. This is the Something Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. Remember that book series, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? It was one of my favorites as a kid, and it was clearly a huge influence for Something Scary. Updated folktales and urban legends accompanied by monochromatic drawings. Well, today's episode is celebrating that series. First, we'll listen to a slightly revised version of The Drum, and then we'll end with an interview with Cody Merrick, who created a documentary about the books, available now. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that I've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast, if you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. And as a member, you get private live streams with me, special behind-the-scenes content, and a chance at a personal response from me about your scary story. And some of these stories have made it into a video or podcast. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, wanna hear something scary? The Drum. The following is based on The Drum from the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series. Once there were two young sisters, Annie and Belle. They lived in a small house in the country with their kind and gentle mother. They loved to explore and play in the fields surrounding their home. One day, the sisters came across another young girl playing by herself in the road. She was beating on a very curiously designed drum. And as she played, a little mechanical man and woman came out of the other end and danced. The girls were mesmerized by the unique toy and begged the stranger to give it to them, who looked back at them and laughed. This is a very special toy, the little girl said. If I were to give it away, it would have to be in exchange for something big. Well, what do you want for it? Annie asked. You have to go back home and be very bad. Come back tomorrow and tell me all the bad things you did, and then I might give you my toy. Deal? Deal. The sisters agreed and headed back to their house. What if we just told her we did bad things? Annie suggested. It's not like she'd know anyway, right? So the next day, the sisters went back to the spot in the road where they met the girl the other day. We were very bad, Belle lied. Yeah, Annie chimed in. We wrote all over our walls, we threw our supper on the floor, and we screamed all night. Now can we have the drum? Not so fast, the girl said. I know that you're lying to me. Come back tomorrow and bring proof that you were very, very bad, and then I'll give you my toy. Deal? Deal. The sisters agreed again and walked away, annoyed, while the girl giggled at them. By the time they got back home, their mother was still away at work. They decided to be very bad before she got home so that they could clean up and explain everything to her. They tore up pillows and mutilated their stuffed animals. They smashed their mother's favorite vase and gathered the pieces. Surely this would be enough for the little girl to give them the drum, they thought. 
They took the torn up pillows and pieces of vase and brought it to the girl. We made a horrible mess, Annie said proudly. We even broke our mother's favorite expensive vase. Now can we have the drum? The little girl rolled her eyes. You both clearly don't know what bad is. You should just go back home. She turned her back towards the sisters and continued playing with her drum. Just tell us what we should do, Annie shouted. The girl slowly turned back around. She reached inside her drum and pulled out a small glass vial and a blade. Bring me your mother's blood. Well, let's get out of here, sister, Annie said. That toy is not worth all this trouble. As they turned to leave, the little girl called after them, her voice much deeper than it was before. Once you've made a pact, you cannot turn back. I will be taking something of yours. The sisters picked up their pace and sprinted all the way back home. They called for their mother, but she wasn't there. In fact, nothing was in their home. No furniture, no rooms. Just a big, open, cavernous wooden space and one door leading outside. And then the walls began to resonate. The roof was vibrating in a familiar rhythm. The sisters ran out the door, only to find their movements stiffen. Their bodies had become rigid and wooden as they moved their limbs involuntarily to the beat. Above them, the little girl, not so little anymore, beating on the drum. And now, more Something Scary. So I had a chat with Cody Merrick, the creator of the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark documentary. It just became available for video on demand today and will be playing in select theaters later this spring. We talk about censorship in kids' media and Cody shares a pretty creepy paranormal phenomenon that he witnessed. Enjoy. Well, thank you, Cody, for speaking with me. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey as a filmmaker, and what led you to creating this documentary? Sure. So uh, my name's Cody Merrick. Um, I My experience up to about five years ago was uh, with a lot of web uh, web content, web videos, mostly for nonprofits and educational purposes. And so... I, about five years ago, got in my head, I have all uh, the know-how and editing skills and so on and so forth to put together uh, my own full-length documentary. It may take a while and, you know, uh, it may be done low budget, that sort of thing, but I know I can do it. And so, um, and with my background, it really made sense for me to do something having to do with children's literature and literacy. Uh-huh. And, and that's really where my, my interest started. And also, I, I like doing the research. I could see myself spending years doing it and not getting bored of it because it's fun and interesting to me. And as far mm-hmm. as choosing these particular books, um, really it came down to I very early on saw the story. Like, I saw there was a story there. When I looked at these books, I said, A, I 
was very familiar with them. I remember reading them as a kid. And then I looked around online and I saw everyone was talking about, I mean, almost on a regular basis, someone would post something on social media and it would blow up and everyone was like, oh, great. I, I absolutely love these books. You know, these these books got me into reading at, at, at a certain age and that sort of thing. So I, I could see they were wildly popular. They were a big nostalgia title. Um, there's also there was also a certain mystique around them, right? Mm-hmm. The the books were published between 1981 and 91, so it, it was some time ago. And the author passed away shortly after the third book. And the illustrator, somewhat at this point, famously does not do interviews at all. Mm. And so you had kind of a lack of of information there, just people talking about it, but not people knowing kind of the, the story behind the books, right? Um, you, you know, I interviewed R.L. Stein for this and a number of other authors, and the fact is R.L. Stein's been interviewed a million times. He's a lovely person, <laughs> but there's not much mystery there, right? right? Two seconds, you'll quickly find an interview with either R.L. Stein, you know, or Stephen King and a number of other authors that have been around for, for quite a while. And then on top of that, um, they are arguably the most banned or challenged books of the last 30 years. And so mm. I saw a censorship piece that I was like, okay, you, you, you juxtapose that they're wildly popular along with the fact they have been heavily censored or banned or challenged. And right there, boom, you've got a story there. Now, I don't know exactly how the story will unfold, or I didn't that four or five years ago, but I put those all elements together and I'm like, this is a story. At a certain point, I had a plethora of things and that's kind of, and I still to some degree have, uh, you know, at some point it had needed to be kind of molded into what is now an hour and 25 minute documentary. Awesome. You mentioned that this series, this book series, is uh, one of the most banned or censored books in the past 30 years. Um, Why do you think this series, as opposed to like Goosebumps or any other horror series like made for children, what do you think made this book series so different? Although I could name other things, I I think probably the number one reason is honestly the popularity. Hmm. Like, you know, if these weren't wildly popular Parents wouldn't take note of them, especially, you know, they were published between 81 and 91. I think generally the popularity really got, you know, heavy in the late 80s and early 90s, around the same time the third one came out and really into the 90s. I mean, some people, a lot of people think of it as a 90s. Uh, series, even mm-hmm. though uh, technically they came out mostly in the 80s. Uh, they became wildly popular in the 90s. And so um, so popularity, I think, is one of the absolute biggest ones. Certainly the illustrations. Um, many people just, uh, some people just assume it was the illustrations. I, I think that was a big part of it. Sure, absolutely. That said, the content was questionable too for some people. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't have a problem with it, and uh, you know, by middle school, I was reading Stephen King. So, you know, um, and my parents didn't have a problem with that. Uh, and you turned out to be a normal person. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm mildly normal, I, and that, to some degree, think that's one of the takeaways for the entire documentaries. Like, right. I, it's almost a perfect time for it because I can interview all the adults that are maybe my age. Age, maybe a little younger, a little older. I'm I'm about to turn 39, so you know I was 11 years old when the third book came out. So that's like the prime time I was. <laughs> I was that generation that where it became wildly popular at that time. But one of the takeaways with the documentaries, yeah, you were all a certain age, and what are we doing? Well, 
well, we're artists and we're musicians and we're this and we're that. And uh, I, I didn't come across too many uh, mass murderers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that's certainly one of the what I consider a pretty big takeaway. Also, we get a little bit into censorship of books isn't something new and it's not hasn't gone away or it's it, like it's it's probably always going to be around to some degree and it's mm-hmm. always a conversation to be had but it tends to uh shape based on what's going on at that particular time so i touch you know briefly on you know the 1980s and 90s and what they call satanic panic which is right. you know everyone was talking about you know satanists and and cults and that sort of thing and that was in the news so this became wildly popular at a time when that was also going on, that parents were really sensitive to anything that was having to do with death and dying and horror and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's That's not the case as much now. And so, yeah, Scary Stories to Tell in Dark isn't published as widely. Uh, there's other titles on that list nowadays. Uh, nowadays, it's a lot of LGBT titles. And so, you know, mm-hmm. which is not so surprising because that's being talked about more than it was 30 years ago and right. so on. So so yeah, it, it tends to ebb and flow based on uh, certain things in society in a lot of ways. Right. Actually, that's one of my favorite aspects of the film is that it goes into why children need this type of spooky, macabre, morbid content. Um, the book was banned because parents thought it was inappropriate, but I would like to know what your personal take on censorship in children's media is, particularly when it comes to horror. Sure. Um, First and foremost, I tried to allow for some nuance Mm -hmm. to it, because honestly, I don't think it's incredibly straightforward. I mean, we talk about banning books and immediately people have this hesitation. Okay, you know, I would never ban a book, so on and so forth. Okay, but what if someone else talks about age appropriateness? Then it starts to meld into, okay, um, yeah, sure, there's some kind of age appropriateness to titles and, and how they're able to get it and that sort of thing. Um, so it's 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 a tricky subject. Now, right. first and foremost, this, this documentary definitely celebrates these books and their positive impact. It also, I'd like to think this is more a conversation starter than it is like, okay, uh, a book should never be removed from any shelf anywhere in any situation, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, what I've talked about is uh, I've got an eight-year-old, which when I started this documentary, he's, he, was, he was much younger. But yeah. even at eight, the scary stuff does not interest him whatsoever. He gets scared easily and that is perfectly fine, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm forcing him to read scary stories to tell in dark or R.L. Stein or any number of authors, right? Same thing with movies. That said, would I um, want to remove scary stories to tell in dark from his elementary school and so that another third, fourth, fifth, sixth grader wouldn't have access to it? No, I would not. Now, where does the decision lie? It's it's yeah. it's nice and tricky. Like you know, who who makes these decisions? And mm-hmm. and in the American Library Association, you know, who I interviewed uh, some with this, um, 
they get into a lot of those kinds of concerns and stuff. And first and foremost, I think both them and me with this documentary, it's more about let's talk about it, right? Let's have a discussion Mm -hmm. here. Let's because a vast majority of the time it's just it's quietly taken off a shelf and there's no conversation had. And so, you know, books that may get kids reading that otherwise wouldn't read, but oh, if if it has to do with vampires or whatever, you know, then suddenly they have an interest, right? Yeah. And so, so a conversation needs to be had. Sure. And I think, I mean, it's kind of funny because usually kids, they love to taste that forbidden fruit. Like if you take something away, that's only going to make them even more curious to know why you're taking it away. So it's sort of like a little counterproductive, I guess, to remove these books when like because it's so popular. It's like, why not instead examine why these books are so popular and why the children love reading it so much, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and in the middle of that are what I uh, sometimes celebrate in some ways is is librarians, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're not the parents, and they're, but they're also, you know, they're ones who are in the middle of this conversation yeah. and a uh, vast majority of the time they're, they're fighting the good fight, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to say trying to get kids to read. And so so they've got they're the ones that are in the middle of this conversation and oftentimes are the ones defending the books whenever uh, whenever a book wants to be removed by, let's say, one parent or two or three parents trying to who are engaged. But and, you know, there's not another voice on the other side necessarily, you know, making the argument. No, no. Some of these kids want this book to be available in some way mm-hmm. because they, they that's what they like. Right. Yeah. And also, I mean, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids, but I feel like if you don't want your children reading something, then don't let like don't try to control what other kids read, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, our listeners on this podcast love scary stories. And I was wondering if you had any personal paranormal experiences yourself. No, not really. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Do you know of any cool yeah. stories? Um, oh, gosh. No. I mean, uh, I like. Oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just thought of something. Yay. In the documentary, uh, we, we make a little venture towards Southwest Missouri, which is the Ozarks, right? Okay. A number of the stories have origins in that area. And so we, that was kind of a fun exploration of, of some of those particular stories and some of the underpinnings of it. And, and down around there, they have something called uh, the Spook Light. So I totally forgot about this because I haven't been there for 20 years, but everyone around there knows about the spook light. It was, it's about 20 miles away from where I grew up and mostly teenagers, they go out there. And if you go on this country road, it is, it's kind of, uh, I want to say it's roughly two hills and you go up on one hill and you can kind of see the other hill and there's a light. And okay. It's just a simple light, right? It kind of flickers on and off. You don't see it every most of the time. I, I think I've been there maybe twice, and both times I saw it. 
And uh, it's just a light, right? It's a simple light. You would think, oh, it's just a flashlight or a a light on the side of the road or Uh whatever. Uh, But it's not. It doesn't exist. Uh, There's nothing there, right? (laughs) It's just a light that appears there. And uh, and some people say when they drive by, the light appears in their car and things like that. It's 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 a ghost light. It's a spook light. You know. (laughs) Of course, there is a story. There's always a story, right? Mm -hmm. Someone's girlfriend friend died or someone's wife died and um, that's that person looking for their kid or something like that and so that's their light searching for their kid or but that light has been around for over a hundred years it's it you know scientists have gone out there and tried to theorize okay it's some kind of light that's reflecting off the highway well it's been around since before the highway right so yeah so it you know it's kind of spooky and when you go there with a bunch of teenagers I'm sure one of them is good at telling the story and tells it and freaks everyone out, right? Wow. And you saw this? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I went there twice and both times I saw it. It's, it just kind of flickers there as you get closer. It disappears, right? Or that was my uh, experience. Yeah. I love that stuff. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Um, so where can people watch your documentary? So it is coming to VOD May 7th. So today, this comes out May 7th. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. We'll <laughs> After this is coming out May 7th, then yes. <laughs> yes. It's so, so it'll be available on VOD then and then DVD in Jul- on July 16th. And then some select theaters. I don't have, uh, I've been told Los Angeles, New Orleans, Columbus, Texas. Uh, so you could definitely look up your local area and maybe it's showing locally. Awesome. Um, what website is it available on? ScaryStoriesDoc.com. So ScaryStories and then DOC.com. Yay. Uh, well, thank you so much for speaking with me and mm-hmm. coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Today's story is an edited version of The Drum from the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series. Music and editing for this podcast by Sapphire Sandalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>